You are listening to CMM, Children Matter Most, on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. The Center for Disease Control called vaccinations one of the 10 great public health achievements in the United States during the 20th century. Benjamin Franklin's youngest son died of smallpox, and in his autobiography he lamented, I long regretted bitterly and still regret that I had not given it to him by inoculation. I am your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg. Join me today and my guest, Dr. Jay Berkelhammer, at the Clinician's Roundtable. Today, we are discussing vaccine reimbursement. Hello, Dr. Berkelhammer. Hello. Thank you for taking the time to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm pleased to be here. The American Academy of Pediatrics AAP News, June 2007, the lead article is entitled, Playing the Game. Pediatricians need to understand economic game theory to be paid fairly for vaccine administration. Isn't it absurd that pediatricians have to play the game to be compensated fairly for vaccinating our children? Yes, it is absurd, and we need to make sure that all children get the immunizations they need. And in order to do this, the physicians need to be able to supply the vaccine to the children who come to their office, and they need to be able to do it in a way that they can afford to cover their costs for providing those vaccines. Has the Academy come up with or thinking about some ideas to guarantee that? Well, the Academy has worked with the CDC, with industry, with the pharmaceutical manufacturers, and have come up with a number of suggestions on how to make sure that these things work more appropriately. Currently, there are a number of problems that occur. One is that there may be a recommendation to use a vaccine before the insurance companies have actually approved payment for them. And then when the physician supplies the vaccine, there may be no reimbursement at all. Even when there is reimbursement, there are times when the insurance company does not pay what it actually costs the pediatrician to be able to buy the vaccine to give to the child. And then finally, there are costs in terms of operating an office and storing the vaccines in an office, which are often not covered by the insurance companies. The article states that the actual cost of supplying the vaccine is estimated to be at least 17 to 28 percent above the acquisition cost. I mean, when I took Economics 101, selling price equaled cost plus overhead plus profit. Why is that profit never seems to figure into their equation? I believe that payers want to try and be as prudent as possible in terms of what they will pay for a product, yet it has become a reality that in order to stay in business, there has to be something in the way of profit for that business to continue to thrive and grow and for the people who work in that business to uh, continue to be able to pay themselves. It just is something which uh, is often overlooked by the pediatrician because it was often thought that the immunization was kind of a, an add-on, a small part of what they were doing in their office so they could cover their office expenses with other charges for the visit. But in fact, what has happened is as there are more vaccines and as the vaccines have gotten increasingly expensive, it has become a major financial burden to keep the office supplied and to be able to provide these vaccines without at least covering a reasonable cost and some portion of that being related to ultimate profit and being able to supply these things. You would not find anything in any other 
place of business where the person who was providing the service was not able to make some money off of the thing at the end in order to be able to have their business grow and thrive. Yeah, I mean, in business, the markup on goods is often 100%. I mean, when the plumber comes to my house or the landscapers plant bushes, they don't charge me the wholesale price for the parts or for the shrubs. They make a profit so their kids can go to school to be doctors. Profit shouldn't be an ugly word, but it's a matter of being able to recover enough for the work you're doing in order to make that work something that you can afford to do day in and day out. Yeah, I mean, I guess when I meant profit, I meant the doctor's salary. In Chicago, we had a 22% increase in our electrical rates, and yet the income doesn't go up. And that's really what I meant by profit. There has to be a fair return for the work you do and for the services you provide. And it's not just merely the cost it costs you to bring the product to the child or the immunization to the child. Just as you were citing, if if your plumber brings over a pipe and all he charges you for is the pipe but not his time and effort, then that plumber is going to have a hard time feeding his own family and coming to work the next day. Albert Einstein said the significant problems we face cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. So how are we going to solve this conundrum? Well, I do think we have to first go back to say, what do we want children to get in this society? Do we want all children to get immunizations? Then the second thing we have to say is, are we going to create a system here where those immunizations are going to be readily available and be something that can be gotten in your doctor's office? If we believe those things, then we need to make sure that there is a willingness between government, the pharmaceutical companies, the payers, the insurance companies, the consumers themselves to figure out how the people who are providing these vaccines are going to get the vaccines and be able to recover their reasonable costs for providing them. You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and my guest today is Dr. Jay Berkelhammer, president of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and we are discussing vaccine reimbursement. In the AAP News, referring back to the 2007 issue, they published the position statements of the two candidates for president on the challenge and potential solutions for delivering vaccines to children. Going back again to what Einstein said in that quotation, Dr. Taylor recommended lobby federal and state government officials. Pediatric councils should meet with health plan administrators. ERISA, meet with the national health plan administrators. To me, this is the same level of thinking we were at when the problems were created. Dr. Shear, on the other hand, said maybe we should have a federal universal immunization program, multi-state vaccine purchasing cooperatives. I'm beginning to see a new level of thinking here. Do you have any thought as how the Academy is going to go in its recommendations, or are there any other out-of-the-box solutions? Well, first of all, let me just say I think that both Dr. Talo and Dr. Shira have said some very important things that we need to seriously look at and consider. Immunizations are something we do believe all children should receive, and the current system is not working well for us. So Dr. Shira's out-of-the-box suggestion is one that deserves further thought. Dr. Taylor's suggestions about working the political process is a tried and true way of getting things done in this country. And it's through hard work and dogged efforts that that allow us to uh, 
get to where we need to go in an incremental fashion. So I think both of them have said things that are right on target. Can the Academy set up a vaccine purchasing cooperative, or could that be done through the state chapters so that we have a little bit of clout with the companies as well as with some of the payers? You know, pediatricians could organize into business units to do things such as you just suggested. However, I would say the Academy, by its very nature, is a advocacy organization and is not structured to function as a business unit to um, actually provide services to the practice of medicine in that way. It wouldn't be part of the Academy's work to actually become the business unit to make those kinds of purchases and to foster those kinds of business arrangements. A little bit different subject, but the CPT administration codes, for those that know them, 90465 and 90466, the practice expense component includes one pair non-sterile gloves, seven feet of exam table paper, one OSHA compliant syringe with needle, one CDC information sheet, two alcohol swabs and one Band-Aid, and of course, the exam table. Why is there such a difference between the first shot and the second shot? The difference is one pair of non-sterile gloves and seven feet of table paper. How do we accept this? After all, the AMA develops the RVUs. It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? The overhead is the overhead, and it's not a whole lot different from a first shot to a second shot. You're, you're quite correct. Plus, I have two or three people holding the child down. Yeah, and you got to pay them something, don't you? Yeah, bringing in a lunch just doesn't do it. Do you think having employed physicians who really just have nothing to worry about because they get their check every Friday morning, do you think that has any factor in the reaction against the current vaccine pricing as opposed to the entrepreneurial doctor in his small office? You know, I've watched this over many years. I graduated from medical school in 1967, so I qualify as a senior doctor, and I've been practicing a long time. And I think the characterization you just made is one that probably had more validity in the past than it does today. What I've seen happen is that the compensation, even in employment models, has become related to your own personal productivity in such a meaningful way that I think you're going to find that the attitudes of physicians are very similar, whether they're in a larger organization where they are being paid a salary plus some sort of productivity incentive, or whether they're in private practice and they're the owners of their own business. There's no question that the private practitioner has a history of being more entrepreneurial, but I would say that the finances of medicine are something which has become a concern of all doctors. We have just a couple of minutes left, and on the talking points from the American Academy of Pediatrics on vaccines, it says that, quote, failure to improve vaccine reimbursement procedures will price pediatricians out of providing vaccines. Do you think that could be the goal of the payers? I don't know if their goal. I think that the payers are probably indifferent rather than that they have some devious endpoint in mind. They just don't understand or appreciate the value of the pediatrician in his office and a child having a medical home where they can have reliable care that's comprehensive and just how immunizations can be a part of a total package of care which will really provide a level of health, which is going to be much better than the fragmented system where you might go 
to a single place for your immunizations and another place for your colds and a third place for your school physicals and then nobody in particular who really knows everything there is to know about the child coordinating it all. If you could make one change right now on vaccine reimbursement, what would it be? Oh, I would make sure that there was that 17 to 28 percent amount that was in addition to the cost of actually bringing the vaccine into the office that a physician could feel comfortable they were going to get in reimbursement so that we could at least get this financial issue off the table. I want to thank Dr. Jay Berkelhammer, who has been my guest, and we have been discussing vaccine reimbursement. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on XM233, ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you good day and good health.